With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Bakama Dafkuf Gimel, page 103. We begin three lines in, Amar Mar. It was stated previously, Someone who buys a field in the name of his friend, and previously we said we're talking about a case where he's buying it in the name of the Exilarch, the leader of the Jewish people, not the spiritual leader, the uh, uh, communal leader. We don't force the seller to write a second document say, saying that it's being sold also to the person who's standing here buying. Meaning, Ruvian the buyer is buying it from Shimon the seller. So the buyer says to the seller, write it in the name of the Exilarch, that that's who's buying it. So he writes out that document. We don't force the seller to write a second document saying that it's going to this person. And as Raja explains, because unless he makes a condition that he wants him to write the second document stating that he's the one getting it so that he can present it, if let's say the Exilarch's children want to come and say that this is indeed their piece of property, so he wants to have a second document, until he makes that condition explicit, it's not going to be necessary for the seller to write that second document. And he can say, go to the Reish Galusa, go to the Exilarch if you want a second document. So when it says, Pshita, this is obvious. Of course, he doesn't have to write a second document. You might think, Matsi Amar that the buyer can say, Meda Yadas, you knew, you the seller knew that I was really taking it for myself. That the reason that I was writing in the name of the exlark was to scare people away that no one should claim that this is their piece of land. And if they did, I would show them this document. I wouldn't just throw out my money for no reason. Obviously, I meant, the buyer is saying, I meant that you should write me a second document saying that it's really being given to me. So you might think that for that reason, this is something that's implicit. Kamash Malan, this is coming to say that no. The Amar lay that the seller can say to the buyer, In yana avdi Go, make your conditions with a person, that person, that you bought it in his name. You bought it in the name of the Exilarch, go deal with the Exilarch. And he'll write you a second document. Now, the second part of this statement was Vim Amarle Amanas, but if he did make a condition saying that he has to write a second document, then we force the person who's selling to write a second document. Sigmar says, Pshita, this is obvious. Sigmar says, No, we do need it. Because he said to the witnesses, The buyer said to the witnesses in front of the seller, See, I want a second document. That's all he said. That was the condition that he made. So you might think like this, and maybe you don't have to make a second document. Why? Because the seller can say, I thought that the buyer meant that he wants a second document from the person that he's buying it in the name of that person. Meaning he was going to get a document from the exilarch saying that he's getting it. So Kamash Malan, that's what's coming to teach you, the Amar Lei, that the buyer can say, This is why I went to the trouble of Amri Kamach and said it to the witnesses in front of you, because I want the second document from you. Rav Kahana gave money because he wanted to purchase some flax from a certain flax dealer. But he had not yet gotten the flax. In the end, what happens is the value of the flax goes up. So he paid, let's say, $4, and it went up to being worth $8 now. But instead of the flax owner giving it to Rav Kahana, so the flax owner went and sold it on behalf of Rav Kahana. So now the, the flax owner wants to give them the higher amount of money to Rav Kahana. Rav Kahana gave him $4. He wants to give him back $8. Also, look at me, the Rav. So he comes in front of Rav and he asks him the following question. He says to him, what should I do? Can I take my money? Or is it a problem of taking interest? Because I give him $4 to give me back $8. So he says to him like this. If when they originally sold it, meaning the person, the flax dealer, when he sold it to the other person for the higher value, if he said that this is the flax that belongs to Rav Kahana, zil shkol. Then you can take the money. But if not, if he hadn't said that, then you can't take the money. Because then it looks like it's interest, because you're taking more money, and it wasn't for your item.
or they weren't aware of the fact that it was your item. Kimas, the Gemara says, what's going on here? How do we understand this? Like whom is this? Kibnei Marava? Would this be like the people uh, in Israel, in the West? Because they, they say that if, let's say, someone's going, Ruvain sends Shimon, he sends him on a mission to go get some chita, to get some wheat. But instead of Shimon getting wheat from Levi, he gets barley from Levi. So since he changed the mission, he's no longer an extension of Ruvain. And Levi, now that he's giving over the barley to, to Shimon, Levi doesn't know that Ruvain exists at all. He doesn't know that there was someone who sent this guy as a messenger. So when Levi gives it over to the middle party, to the messenger, it's not considered that it goes back to Ruvain. That's what the Bnei Marava said. That since the person who's selling is not aware of the other party, and he's no longer, this person who's a messenger is no longer considered an extension of that first party, therefore the person who's selling it is not going to be mocked, it's not going to transfer into the possession of the person who originally sent the messenger, because he's not aware of it. So would that be the same thing over here? That's why the person who's buying it. The person who's buying this flax, he's giving eight shekels, eight dollars, whatever it is. He's giving more, the higher amount of money. And he doesn't know that the money's supposed to go to Rav Kahana. If he didn't use his name, that's the understanding of why it doesn't go to Rav Kahana. He can't take the money back. Is it considered that Rav Kahana is giving four and he's taking back eight and it's interest? He bought flax. The flax has gone up in value. And the flax dealer, by selling it to someone else, he's stolen it. That whenever someone steal something, he has to pay based on the time when he stole it. When did he steal it? He stole it when he stole the flax to this third party. So therefore at that po- point in time already, it was already worth more. So he should have to give him based on the value, the higher value. And there's no problem of interest. So why is Rav saying that only if he specified that this is Rav Kahana's flax, only then is it not a problem of ribbis of interest? And if he didn't specify that, then in fact he doesn't have to give him the higher amount. So the Gemara answers, Amri, we say like this, Hasam with Rav Kahana, Amana Havoy. The case was, he had not actually actually purchased the flax yet because the person who was selling it didn't have the flax. Rav Kahana didn't do any kind of action of taking possession of it. It didn't belong to him yet. Lekisna of the flax. So therefore since it had not transferred into his possession yet, so we'll come on to the following statement of Rav. Rav according to his very own reasoning. Rav says that if let's say I want to buy based on the current value, meaning I want to buy something, the flax is $4 now and I know that over the year it's going to go up in value, and I want to create a deal with you where you're going to give me flax later on at the current value. So even though, in theory, I'm giving you $4 now, I'm getting something back later, which has a value of $8, nevertheless, it's not considered that I'm taking interest, that I'm taking a higher value since I'm getting back goods. So that's only goods. But to do this, and I'm giving you $4, and later on you're going to give me something, instead of the actual goods, you're going to sell the goods and give me back a higher amount. I give you $4, you're going to give back $8, so that's problematic. That already looks like interest, even though it's not interest. It looks like interest, and the sages said that in such a case, it's forbidden. So therefore, that's why Rav said that if you're getting back money, and they didn't specify it was your thing that was being sold, that's why it's going to be a problem. Because it looks like ribis, it looks like interest, and therefore, it would be forbidden. But if they specify that it was your thing, Rav Kahana, so then, since it's clear what's happening, it's clear that he's selling your flax, so therefore, it's not a problem to get back the higher amount of money. It's not considered interest. We begin the Mishnah. If someone steals the value of a pruta, pruta is the smallest amount of money that has significant value. So if someone steals something which has that value, and he swore to him that he had not stolen it. And then he admitted that indeed he had stolen it. So the Torah says that in such a case you have to pay an additional fifth beyond the original amount that you stole. So now, so now you have to run after him, chase after him, even if he's gone to a far off land, in order to return the money that you stole, even if it's a very small amount. 
You can't give it to his son, the person that you stole it from. You can't give it to his son, nor to his messenger. And if you do, and it gets lost, you're going to still have an obligation to pay. But the sages instituted that you can give it to a messenger of the courts. And the reason they instituted this is because the, they wanted to encourage people to return things that they've stolen. And this way, they wouldn't have to, the person who stole won't have to spend extra money to get to the place where the person who he stole from is located. So the person he stole from dies, Yasser the Yasher, then he can indeed give it to his inheritors. Let's say he gave him back the original value that he had stolen, but he hadn't given him the additional fifth. Or let's say we have another case where he doesn't owe the original amount that he stole, because the person we stole from was Michael, he forgave him for stealing that, but he didn't forgive him for the extra fifth. Or let's say he forgives him for all of the money, except for a little bit less than a pruta, that small value, a little bit less than that, he says, you still owe me from the original amount that you stole. So then it's not necessary for the person who stole to run after him, to pay back the fine, or to pay back a smaller amount than a pruta from the, from the original amount that he stole, not necessary to run after him. Let's say he only paid him the fine, the fifth, the extra fifth, but he didn't give him the main amount that he stole. Let's say the guy who got stolen from forgave him for the fifth, but he didn't forgive him for the original amount that was stolen. Or let's say he forgave him for everything, except for a little bit more, or at least a pruta, the small value in the original thing that was stolen. So then it would be necessary, as long as you have that small amount, or any amount from the actual thing that was stolen, he has to run after him to try to pay him. Let's say he gave him the amount that he stole, and then in regards to the fifth, he swore that he had paid it, even though he hadn't. And then he admitted that indeed he had not paid it. So what happens? So we turn to Kuf Gilam Abayz, page 103b. So he has to pay a fifth added on to the fifth that he already had to pay. And if he does this over and over again, so until the point where the amount that he has to add on is equal to a Shava Pruta, where it's less than this small value, so then he wouldn't have to add that on anymore. It's a similar halacha in regards to where you gave me something to watch, and I claimed either that it was taken or that you never gave me something to watch. So it's considered like I stole it, and therefore this concept would, have, would apply as well. If I admitted I'd have to pay on an extra fifth, and all the things that we spoke about, you'll have to run after him to Madai to pay back the original amount, etc. Whether we're talking about a case where you gave me something to watch, or you gave me a loan, or it was stolen, or he ripped off his friend, we found a lost object, he denied it, he swore falsely, he has to pay for the value of the thing that he stole, he has to add on a fifth for swearing falsely, and he has to bring a korban asham, a special sacrifice for the sin that he committed. We begin the Gemara. The indication here is when does he have to run after him until he finds him in whatever far off land the person that he's stolen it from has gotten to? Only if he swore. But if he had not sworn, so he didn't deny it, so he doesn't have to run after him. So money, so who is this like? It's not like a bitarfa nor like a bikiva, the tiny wave Let's say one person stole from one out of five people. He's not sure who he stole from. Each one of them is saying, it was me that he stole from. Bitarfa says what you do is you leave the stolen thing in between them all and 
you leave, since you placed it, Rashi explains, in front of one of them, and one of them is the, actually the person that he stole from, that's enough. You don't, they're just gonna fight it out. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says, This is not the way to get himself out of the sin that he's committed. If he wants to have a true kapara, a true atonement, so he has to make sure that the person who he stole from gets the money back, and therefore he has to pay to every single one of them. Now money, who's our Mishnah? So if it's Rabbi Tarfin, so the mission, this Bryce over here with Rabbi Tarfin, Rabbi Kiva, it doesn't distinguish whether you've sworn or not. So if it's Rabbi Tarfin, so even though he swore, so he holds it, even though you've sworn, you still would just leave the, the stolen thing in, in between them all, and you don't have to make sure that it gets to the person that you stole from. So he would also say in our case, you don't have to run after the guy to Mada, even if you ran to a faraway place. And if it's Rabbi Kiva, so over here, he's not making any distinction between whether you've sworn or not. So even if you haven't sworn, so here the indication is, you still would have to make sure it gets to the person. So the answer is, Really, because it's Rabbi Kiva. When does Rabbi Kiva say? He to make sure that it gets to the person that you, you stole from. He's specifically speaking about a case where the person had sworn. My time, huh? what's the reason? Because the verse says, To the one that it belongs to him, he must make sure to give it on the day of his guilt. So when is their guilt? When he's sworn falsely and he is admitted. Verbi Tarfin, what does Verbi Tarfin hold? If we're speaking about specifically a case where it's sworn, so he holds it, even though you've sworn, nevertheless, the sages, they created a takana, a decree, in order to help the person out who's stolen, to help him out, so he shouldn't have to feel like this is impossible to do tshuva, impossible to repent. says as follows, they created a tremendous decree, that if the expenses for him to be able to return something would be greater than the amount that he stole, so he pays the value value of the thing that he stole plus a fifth to the courts, and he brings his korban, his sacrifice, and he has his atonement. What does Rabbi Kiva hold? When did the sages make a decree? When he knows who he stole from, in the end, so the courts that you've given the money to, they're going to end up returning that money to the person that was stolen from. When someone stole from one out of five people, you're not even sure who he stole from. In the end, the money may not per se go back to the person that he stole from. So there, the sages did not create any kind of takana, but rather they said, you have to make sure that the money goes back, according to Rabbi Kiva, and therefore you have to pay every single one of them. Masav Rav Huna Bar Yehuda. Rav Huna Bar Yehuda now questions our assumption, which was that this argument between Rabbi Tarfin and Rabbi Kiva, in regards to if it's enough to give it into, right in front of all five people that you're not sure which one you stole from, or you have to give it to every single one, we said that that's talking about a case where you swore, and you swore falsely. So now the Gemara is challenging this. Amr Bishimim Ben Elazar. Bishimim Ben Elazar says in this Brysa, In a case where somebody bought, he bought a certain item from one out of five people. He's not sure which of the vendors at this flea market let's say, that he bought it from. That if that's the case, so you can just leave the money in front of them, and as Rashi explained, since there was no sin when you bought this thing, you just don't remember who you owe the money to. So as opposed to a case of Exhala where you stole something where there was a sin. So here it's enough to just leave the money in front. You stole from one out of five people. You're not sure which one you stole from. In such a case, Rabbi Tarfin says, that you leave the stolen money in front of them. That's enough to, to just leave it in front of them and you can leave. Rabbi Kiva says, that the only way that you can 
atone for yourself is only if you pay all five of these people. Now, if the case is he's talking about, as we said before, where there was a swear, what's the difference we're talking about when you bought something or you stole something? Once you're swearing, you've sworn falsely, you've admitted to it, so you've done something wrong, so you should have an obligation to make sure that every single one of them gets paid. Additionally, Rav asked the following question, there was a story with a certain righteous person, he bought something from one of the two people, he wasn't sure which one he had bought it from. And he comes in front of Rabbi Tarfin, and Rabbi Tarfin says to him, Leave the money between the two of them, and you can leave. And by the way, there's a tesis at the top of the page that says that when we say that you're leaving the money between them and stepping away, so it doesn't mean literally that they're going to fight it out and beat each other up and whoever wins, wins. But rather it means that whoever is going to bring the proper proofs, he's the one who's going to end up getting the money. So fine. So that was the first thing that he did with Rabbi Tarfin. That's what Rabbi Tarfin told him. Balaf Nei Rikiva. Then this certain chassid, this righteous person, came in front of Rabbi Kiva. Amar Rabbi Kiva said, You're not going to have a takana. You're not going to be okay until you've paid every single one of them. And if we're talking about a case where there is a swear, so if their argument is in a case of swearing, a righteous person like this, he would never swear. Bishikra. He wouldn't swear falsely. And if you want to say the mishtab of a maybe he swore falsely, and then afterwards he became a righteous person. He did tshuva, he repented. So the Mor says, no. We know that wherever it says that there's a story with a certain righteous person, it's either the sage Rabbi Yehuda ben Baba or the sage Rabbi Yehuda ben Baba. Both of these two sages were righteous people from the beginning, and they were never at a stage where they would have sworn falsely. So the Mor says, Really, I'll tell you that our Mishnah, when it says that you have to run after the person till the end, who is it? It's Rabbi Tarfin. And even though Rabbi Tarfin says in the Brisa that you don't have to make sure it gets to all five of the people, that's because it's talking about where there was no swear. But if there is a swear, so Rabbi Tarfin agrees that indeed you would have to go and make sure it gets to the person. My time, huh? what's the reason? Because the verse says, To the person that it belongs to, you must give it to him on the day of your sin. So what does Rabbi Kiva hold? That even though you haven't sworn, despite the fact that you haven't sworn, we'll still make you pay to every single one of them and make sure that the money goes to him. Even though from the Torah it's not necessary, we're going to fine you. Now the Gemara asks, according to this establishment that we're saying that our Mishnah is Rabbi Tarfin, Rabbi Tarfin Michti, let's think about Rabbi Tarfin. The only way there's an obligation to make sure to run after the guy is if you swore and you admit it. That's what it sounds like. My area of Anishba. What do we need you to swear for? We find that even if there's no swearing, just admitting is enough for, for you to have to make sure that you have to pay the guy, no matter where he is. The time we have a brisa. Tarfin agrees. That when someone says to two people, "I stole from one of you, mana a hundred dollars," I'm not sure which one I stole from. That he has to pay both of them a hundred dollars. Why? To the top of 104a, because he's already admitted. So Rashi explains, since you've already admitted, so you're showing that you want to be Yotzi Yiddishamayim, you want to fulfill your obligation as far as the heavens are concerned. So if you want to fulfill your obligations as far as the heavens are concerned, you have to go all the way and make sure that the money gets to the person that you stole from. So in our Mishnah as well, we should say that you don't have to swear and admit, it's enough to admit to create an obligation. So Rav says like this, Shani Masisin, the Mishnah is different, they came in the Yod Laman Gazle, since in our Mishnah's case, he knows who he stole from, and he admitted to him, since we know for sure that he's going to be able to return the money to who he stole from so it's, it's as if he said to him it should be in your hands
meaning the person who got stolen from it's as if he's saying I want you to watch it for me pay me back when you can Hilkach so therefore what Nishba where he swore even though the guy is saying to him you can watch it for me Kevin the boy Kapara since the person who swore and he lied he requires an atonement for his swearing so it's not enough until he actually makes sure that the money gets to his hand but if he had not sworn so then it's considered like the money is by him it's waiting for the person to come and collect it and therefore, he doesn't have to actually physically go over to the person that he stole from to give him the money, but rather the person who was stolen from has to come and get the money from him, since he doesn't have to be machab, he doesn't have to atone for a false swearing.